Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. I missed last weekend. Last weekend, Kim, my wife, started a new series called Next. And I'm a firm believer that every one of us, no matter who we are, uh, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, God's not through with you, that there is a next season for you, that there is something coming up that God's got for you. He has plans ahead of you that he wants you to fulfill and accomplish and be a part of, that he's inviting us into. So whether you are um, one or you're a hundred, if you've got breath in your lungs, God's got a purpose and plan for your life. There is something he wants you to do next. And I believe that's true for you. And I believe that's true for us as a congregation as well. As a body of believers, I believe Jesus is calling us to a next season, to, to look to the horizon, to accomplish what he's calling us to accomplish. So as we talk today, I want you to be thinking about this in the context of, of us as a church, but I want you to think, be thinking about it in your own personal context as well. What is God speaking to me to do? What is God asking me to step into? Because I promise promise you, if you are listening, God will speak to you about it. Uh, we're going to start today, uh, almost all of my text is going to be from Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> so we'll start there. Um, if you've got an old school paper Bible while you're flipping over there, uh, uh, I'll tell you this. Last week, Kim talked about our vision statement, every life made different. And that's why we exist as a church. Uh, it's why we do all the things we do to see lives transformed, to see people move uh, from lost to found, to see people move from not knowing God to being known by God and a child of God, because that makes all the difference. We feel like that's why we exist as a church. So Kim went through that so powerfully last weekend. Uh, I would encourage you, if you didn't hear that, uh, go back and listen to it on the podcast or listen to or watch the video and get caught up. Uh, but today, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 25. And we'll begin in verse 14. In this passage, Jesus was describing the kingdom of heaven to a group of followers. And he, he tells them a story to illustrate it. And then he tells them this other story, this parable. In verse 14 is where we'll begin. And it says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. So what we see here is this, this uh, wealthy ruler, this wealthy man, he has servants. And he's going on a trip and he can't manage his finances online. That's not a thing at that point. And so he says, I'm going to entrust each of you some of my money to manage this while I'm away. And he gives one of his servants five talents, one two talents, and one he gives one talent. And it says, to each according to his ability. And I love this because what we see is the master recognizes each of his servants is different. And each of his servants can manage a different amount. And so he says, I can trust you with five, I can trust you with two, and I can trust you with one. Sometimes we get a little frustrated because we look at what others have and we think, well, why don't I get that? That's not fair. That's not right. And, and I want you to understand something. In this parable, God is the master, and we are the servants. And sometimes God, as the master, looks at us, and he, he apportions different talents to us based on our ability, not based on what's fair. Because notice the master didn't say, well, I'm going to make this right, so what do I have? I've got uh, eight talents, so I'm going to split it up and try to divide it equally, but I don't want anybody to be offended or upset. So what he says is, hey, uh, I've got bigger things to worry about, so I want to manage my finances well, so five, two, one. 
And what we have to understand is maybe God isn't entrusting other people's talents to us because he's not sure he can trust us with it. Maybe there's things that we don't have in our lives. Maybe there's things that we're not carrying in our lives because God looks at our ability and says, I don't know if I can trust them with that. The word ability here is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word dunamis, and dunamis means power. As a matter of fact, whenever you look at this word throughout Scripture, it typically is, is interpreted as power. One of the places most commonly that we see this word dunamis is in the book of Acts. Uh, we see Jesus say, um, basically, he says, go to the upper room. You're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the earth. And last weekend, Pastor Kim talked about this. She said, hey, this is our responsibility to be witnesses for God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. But the way we can do that is through power. Now, these, these two instances don't seem to make sense. Because in one place, it says, to each according to his dunamis, power. That doesn't make sense there. Um, but yet we see the power, this authority. And what I want you to understand is this. Um, this word power, or dunamis, what it really means is the power to do what you've been assigned to do. And so when we look at the book of Acts, this word dunamis, what it means is, hey, I'm going to assign you power to do what I'm asking you to do, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. You have the power to do that because of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what we see here is, is this understanding that the master looks at his servants and he says, you have the power to do what I'm asking you to do, to manage these talents well. I'm giving you the authority, the power to do that. And so each of us have the ability the, the power, it's not just about potential. Have you ever met somebody that you thought, man, they're so gifted, they're so talented naturally, but man, they're wasting their lives. That's, that's potential. They've got potential, but, but the master would say they don't have dunamis. They have the potential to do it, but they're not going to do it. And so the difference is doing what the master has asked us to do. Let me move on. Verse 16 says this. He who had the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So uh, so also he who had two talents made two talents more. I love this because the master says, hey, I can trust you and you more than I can trust the third servant. And at once they went and doubled their money. The one who had five went and he doubled it to 10. And the one who had two doubled it and he had four. And this is incredible because it, it proves that the master's instincts or feelings about their ability was accurate. That he said, I knew that I could trust you. So he's gone on this long journey, but they leave at once. They didn't waste any time. They didn't think, you know what? I need to write up a, a business plan for this. I need to come up with a flow chart. I need to have some, uh, a spreadsheet, and I can you know, write all this out and try to figure out a plan. They already had the plan. This is what I love about it, because I believe that these were two people that were dreaming and saying, you know what? If my master ever trusted me with X amount of money, I already know what I would do with it. I already know how I'd double his money. They dreamed about how to make the master's kingdom better and bigger and bring more wealth to the master. They dreamed about it. They thought about it. I truly believe that. That's why they didn't hesitate. They didn't wait because immediately they went and they doubled the master's money. Verse, 20, uh, verse 18 says this, but he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now I want to make this very clear. If you are saving for retirement, this is not the most effective strategy. You're not going to earn any more money. What it's going to do is keep you from losing your money, but you will not earn any more money. This money will not help you uh, 
grow or develop or anything like that. It is hidden money that was only not lost is all it is. And when we look at this, it's hard to understand the context because for many of us, we think talent, and it's like, I don't even know what that means. Is it dollars, like $10, $5, $1? And, uh, and I, want you, I want to help you understand this. So a talent, the word talent in the Old Testament and New Testament are different. In the New Testament um, is, is what Jesus' context was. And so when Jesus is telling a story, this is the value that it, that it has. So a talent was roughly 20 years of income for an average laborer. So let's put that into our context. If a normal person works 2,000 hours a year and a laborer makes $15 an hour, that's going to be $30,000 that they will make. Times 20 is $600,000. So the person who had one talent, because we look at one talent, we go, that's not very much. That's kind of skimpy. Uh, no, that's $600,000. How many of you would like to walk out of here today with $600,000? There's a whole bunch of liars in here. I'm going to do an altar call for liars in just a minute because some of you are like, nah, I'm good. You're lying. $600,000, that's a lot of money. $600,000 that the master said, I'm trusting you with this. And he buried $600,000. Well, let's take this up a notch. The, the next one had two. He got $1.2 million by today's dollars. $1.2 million. And he went and doubled it to $2.4 million. And the, the third servant, he got $3 million in today's money, and he doubled it to $6 million. So again, understand this in the context of, of, of this story and, and how it applies to us. You had two servants that couldn't wait to expand the, the influence of the master. You had two servants who couldn't wait to grow the kingdom of the master, and you had one servant who didn't dream about that, wasn't thinking about it, and quite frankly, buried the money that he had just to not lose it. Verse 19 says this, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The word settled accounts here, um, the, the word for settled accounts is actually reckoning. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Like if your boss said, hey, I want you to come in tomorrow morning, we're going to meet for a reckoning. You'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> what? What is happening there? Are you killing me? Uh, what is going on? So the master comes to settle accounts, to reckon with them. Verse 20 says, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Um. I love this because the master, he is excited about what this man has done. He said, wait a second, you, you had five talents, now you have 10 talents, it's incredible, thank you so much. Man, you've helped my kingdom, you've expanded my kingdom, you've made me a lot of money, and I'm excited about this. And so he rewards him. When my girls were little, uh, we used to say this just to help them understand, um, but we would say good choices get rewarded and bad choices get punished. And this is the thing that's interesting. That is true when you're two and it is true when you're 102. If you don't believe me, when you leave the parking lot today, drive down Philly Street going like 110 and we'll see what kind of reward you get for those good choices, right? Probably you're gonna get uh, thrown in jail, 
uh, at best, you're probably going to get your car impounded. Um, try this on Monday morning going into work. You walk in and uh, you, you roll out of bed and go to work in your pajamas. Um, you treat your boss with dishonor. You, you act like a jerk to them and you see what will happen, right? Because bad choices get punished. Good choices get rewarded. And this is a principle we see at work here. But this is true in our lives, in our everyday lives. When we make wise choices, they are rewarded. And our Heavenly Father is a God who wants to reward us. He wants to bless us. He wants to help us. And so when we make wise choices, it makes it easier for him. When we make bad choices, there are natural consequences that come with our own stupidity at times. And so what we see here is this principle at work. And he says, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Um, Verse 22 says this. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more for you. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I love this because what he's saying is, uh, when he says enter into the joy of your master, he's saying, I am so joyful. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that you've caught a heart for this. And so I want you to share in my joy. And we as a people, um, we have this chronic problem of looking for joy everywhere we can find it. We're always looking for our happiness and fulfillment and all these things and everything in our lives, in relationships, in experiences, in jobs, in things we can own or have. Um, all these things we're looking for so many times in bringing us joy. How is this going to fulfill me? And we hear people say things like, hey, pursue your passion and follow your heart and do what makes you happy. And these are the stupidest things that you could be told to do. (laughs) Do you know why? Because in the book of Jeremiah, it says this. It says, um, let me find it. My my notes updated and my whole notes didn't update. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Did you hear that? When somebody says, follow your heart, what they're saying is, find a liar and listen to everything they tell you to do. Because your heart is deceitful. Our hearts will lie to us. Our heart will tell us, this is important or this is valuable. And when we follow our hearts, we follow the wrong thing. What God says is, hey, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and, and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So when we prioritize God's kingdom, when we prioritize the, the, the joy of heaven and the things that brings joy to God, then we will find and discover our joy. But the problem is we're pursuing our own joy. We're pursuing our own happiness. We're pursuing what will make us happy. And, and what God says to us is, no, 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 set aside those things and I will show you the right things. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling a story and he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And then when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. So in the middle of the wilderness, nobody's around. He lays this sheep on his shoulders and he has a little party right there by himself because he's so excited. He's rejoicing. It goes on to say in verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be more joy in heaven over one person who repents, one person who says, Jesus, I can't be Lord of my life any longer. You're the Lord of my life. That's why at the end of our worship experiences, 
whenever I give an opportunity for people to make Jesus Lord of their lives. And we pray that prayer together. At the end, that's why we always clap. Because if it brings joy to heaven, it should bring joy to us. If there's a party in heaven, there should be a party on earth as well. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, if you want to discover the joy of heaven, you have to understand that the joy of heaven has everything to do with lost people. And one of the problems is churches all across America fall more in love with what we do and how we do it than lost people. We fall more in love with our style, with our preferences, than we do lost people. And as a result, we start prioritizing the stuff we want and what, the, what makes us comfortable, what makes us happy over reaching lost people. We started prioritizing our own joy over the joy of heaven. And that's a problem. Verse 24 says this. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew, that you to be, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. <laughs> so think about this for a second. The master went away on a long journey. He was going to be a, uh, away for a while. And the whole time, you've got the man who got five talents, the man who got two talents. They went out immediately, doubled the money, do you think they were looking forward to the master's return? I do. Um, we do performance reviews here at Summit with our staff, and we've got a great team. I'm grateful for them. And uh, our performance reviews are pretty easy because throughout the year, we're talking about stuff. We don't wait till the end of the year to say, here's what all the things you stunk at this last year. Like, we will sit down and go, hey, when something goes wrong, we'll go, hey, let's talk about this. Like, why did that go wrong? How could we have done that better? What are we learning moving forward? We'll talk through that. We'll fix it. And so when we get to the performance review, it's like, okay, yeah, we fixed that. We worked on that. We're better now. We're moving in the right direction. So they're pretty easy. And when we first started doing performance reviews, our staff was nervous because they were like, I don't know what this is going to be and look like. And they thought, man, Mel's going to come in with a wrecking ball and just start, you stink and you stink and you stink. Like they had no idea. And really reviews around here are more about a celebration of the progress we're making and the direction we're going in. Uh, and when you're doing well, reviews are easy. Um, last night, I was sitting in my office before one of the services, before the 4.30 service, and Pastor Ricky came in, and I was out of the office this last week and last weekend, and he came in, and we were talking. I said, Pastor, I want to tell you what, what's going on in youth ministry right now. And he starts telling me all these wins and all these exciting things that are happening, and he couldn't wait to tell me how he was stewarding the students that God has given him. He was so excited to tell me about that because it's a win, right? If Ricky um, had bottomed the youth ministry out and kids had stopped coming and he had forgotten to even have youth service sometimes and, you know, he just wasn't doing his job, he probably wasn't going to pop in my office and be like, Pastor Mel, I can't wait to tell you how I'm destroying the youth ministry of Summit Church. <laughs> oh, man, I've undermined it. The parents hate me. It's, it's fantastic, Right? I'd have to pull that information out of him later. But he was excited to tell me because God's doing good things. He wanted to give me that report. These two servants, they couldn't wait to tell the master, Master, I've doubled your five talents. I've doubled your two talents. Master, I, I, I've doubled. You've gone from three million to six million, right? Uh, you've doubled your income, Master, from 1.2 to 2.4. They couldn't wait. But how do you think the servant who had buried the money felt? When he heard the master was back in town and he was ready to meet to have a reckoning, 
So, oh, the, the master's back. That's great news. I can't wait to talk to him. Um, I'm excited to tell him well, what's happened with his money. I did, at least I didn't lose it. I mean, it's still in the ground, so, right? There is no win when it comes to this. And, and what I love about this, it's so interesting, and I think there's application for us today. He uses the word master, just like the other two servants do, and he uses the word master here. And the word master literally translated throughout Scripture uh, is typically translated as the word Lord. And normally it's translated with an uppercase L. It's a proper pronoun describing God as Lord. But it's used, well, it's used 748 times in Scripture, 667 as a proper Lord, meaning God, 54 times as Lord, and then the rest are just uh, master or sir, or things like that. Uh, but what we see over and over and over is this idea that when someone was referred to as master, they're referred to as Lord. And the word Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs. I've told you before, I've got this eight-pound demon-possessed dog at our house, black lifeless eyes, Lulu. Don't let the name trick you. And Lulu, um, she doesn't like me the best. She likes Kim the best. She likes Abby next. She likes Emma next. And then I'm somewhere below Emma. But Lulu knows that I'm the boss. Lulu knows who the owner is. Because when I tell her to do something, typically she does it. Because I'm the alpha. I'm the boss. I'm the master when it comes to that relationship. And this is a crude analogy, but let's be honest. Um, in many of our relationships, um, uh, with God, it's hard to describe who the master is because we don't really yield to him very often. As a matter of fact, the rest of the definition of this word, master, the uh, kureos, it is he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding. Have you ever tried to pick where your family was going to go eat and you left it for popular vote? And you get in the car, where are we going to eat? And somebody goes, pizza, hamburgers, Thai. Like, and you're going, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want. And if you're not careful, that will spill over. Like that is, that is a dangerous moment in that vehicle because if that keeps up, everyone in the car will be dead, right? Like mom or dad, somebody's going to blow a top and we're going to Taco Bell. No, right? Everybody's disappointed at that point. And what happens in our lives so many times as we come in a room like this one, or we're watching a service online, and we're touched by a moment, and we pray a prayer, and we say something like this, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, you have control, and what we really mean is, Jesus, you're Savior, because I don't want to go to hell. So you're Savior of my life, but I retain all deciding rights. So we walk out of this room, and we go, man, Jesus is Lord, but what we really mean is, now I don't have to go to hell. And I still get to retain control over all the decisions of my life. I get to decide who I marry, who I date, what job I take, where I move, where I live, how I live. All those things are up to me because I get to decide. And so what we've effectively done is we've reduced Jesus to a get-out-of-jail-free card. And we'll say things like Jesus is Lord, but he is not Lord because we have stripped him of the right to decide anything in our lives. And so this... This one servant, he calls him master, but what he's really saying is, hey, you're master, but I know what you wanted me to do with the money, and I didn't do that. Because the two who were faithful, 
They knew, they, they thought, man, my master wants me to manage this well. He would like me to double his income. He would like me to bring him a profit. So you know what? I'm gonna do everything I can to please the master. And the one servant who, who buried his talent, do you know what he did? He said, you know what? I, I know how my master is and I'm scared, so I'm gonna bury my talent. I know what he would want me to do, but I'm not gonna do that because I'm too scared. So he could say he was master, but he was not master. He could decide his fate, but he was not making the decisions about what to do with his talents. So he says, I know that you're a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering, seed, uh, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, fear may be Satan's most powerful tool against us. Fear is what keeps us from God's best in our lives because God will speak something in our lives or as we grow in our faith, we begin to know, man, God would want me to expand his kingdom. God would want me to bring him an investment into his kingdom. And I'm not talking a financial investment because God doesn't need money. What God wants more than anything else is souls. See, the master in this story, he was ruthless because he wanted a profit. God is ruthless, not because he wants a profit, because he values souls more than anything else. What he wants us to turn a profit in as his servants is lost people. So God is ruthless when it comes to that. That's what he wants more than anything else. Can I, if I can say it this way, he's greedy about people. He wants as many people saved as possible. So God can be hard when it comes to that. Because I think someday, some of us are going to get to heaven, and we're going to face God, and God's going to say, what did you do with your talent? Well, God, uh, I was afraid of what people would say. I was afraid of what my coworkers might think of me. I was afraid of, I was afraid of, I was afraid of. I was afraid of having to, to be uncomfortable. I was afraid that you would call me to Africa. I was afraid that, and because of that, I buried my talent in the ground. What you gave me to leverage for your kingdom, what you gave me to advance your kingdom, what you gave me to use to make your kingdom a priority, I didn't because you're not really the master. Verse 26, the master responds. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. He said you should have at least put it in the bank because then I'd make the measly interest payment on it. At least I'd have a little more, but you did nothing with it. Verse 28, he says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. So he says, take it from the one and give it to the one who made the biggest profit. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Remember what he said, to each according to his ability. Verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is a reference to hell. Jesus is telling the story about the character of God, who God is, and we look at this story, and this story seems out of line with what we know of God, because what we talk about God in Western culture is how he's kind and generous and benevolent and loving and merciful and all these things, and that is who he is. But I want you to understand, he has such a deep passion for people, for lost people, that he is ruthless when it comes to lost people. He is hard when it comes to lost people. 
And I don't think he's going to put up with very many of our excuses for why we disregarded what he loves and what he's passionate about. I think some of us are going to face a stark reality someday when we face God. When we understand that we have called him master, but he's not really master. Because we're not letting him decide our lives, choose what we do, how we live. And to be perfectly honest with you, when I read this story, it's a story I've read, read a hundred times, a thousand times maybe in my life. And I've preached from this passage before. And probably eight months ago, nine months ago maybe, I was reading this passage of scripture just in my personal prayer time. I wasn't studying for a message or anything like that. And I was just reading and it was almost as if when I read this passage, it almost felt like I got punched in the gut. And uh, it was like the wind was knocked out of me. And I felt so strongly in my spirit that God said to me, you are the lazy, wicked servant. And I don't, I'm not telling you that to make you feel sorry for me because I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like God was crushing me in that moment. I thought, felt like it was just, he's speaking truth to me. And to be honest with you, when I first heard it, I was like, that can't be God. There's no way God would speak that to me because I'm not lazy or wicked. Holy cow, we're doing four services for crying out loud. God, aren't you impressed by that, right? God, we're growing, we're adding people, we're seeing people saved. Uh, how could we be lazy and wicked? How could I, I think, come on, God. And what I felt God speaking to me was that I'd grown complacent and a little bit lazy when it comes to the things of God and some of the things that he had asked us to do. And that I had maybe even drifted into a little bit of fear because we built this building in the back, this kids and youth facility, which is a great building. I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for, for building that and the tool that it is to us today to reach families. And, um, but that's just a means to an end. That's just a tool to reach people. God loves people. But there were some other things that I felt like God had spoken to us during that time that we've kind of pushed off. Um, so in 2015, when we started talking about our vision, to, to build a building and to start expanding the kingdom of God, one of the things we talked about was this idea that we feel like God's calling us to plant churches, start locations. And one of the things that, that happened is, you know, originally we said, hey, we're going to start one in 2016. And the building rolled around and we started construction and things were going and costs were escalating and Staff, it was just harder on our staff and harder on me than I thought it would be to go through that building process. Was maybe 2017. Then, well, maybe, maybe 2018. And then we just kind of stopped talking about it. And I, I, I felt so strongly God speaking to me, saying, I've given you all the talents. I don't mean giftedness. I just mean he's given us the resources. He's given us everything we need to do what he's asked us to do but yet we're not doing it. We, I can say we, I've buried God's talent. And I felt like God's speaking to me so specifically about that. And I took it to our board and I said, guys, I need you to pray with me about this. And I am not the kind of leader that's gonna say, hey, God told me, and that's like the trump card. Who can argue with that, right? So men, if you ever win an, win an argument, just tell your wife, God told me, I'm sorry. I have to watch ESPN, God told me. 
So I went to the board and said, guys, here's what I feel like God's speaking to me, but <clears throat> I'm not going to, I'm not going to be heavy handed about this. Like, this is what I feel, but I need some confirmation. I need you guys to pray about this with me. And we came back and said, yeah, this is what we're feeling. And there's some nervousness about what this is going to look like. But let's, yeah, this is the direction we're heading in. I went to the staff and we prayed about it. And so I want to let you guys know today that uh, we're planning to launch uh, Summit Location in Blairsville in 2020. And uh, as of right now, we're planning on trying to launch in the spring. There's a number of things and questions I can't answer to you today because we're working on things right now. We're looking at locations. We're trying to find sites and uh, negotiating on things. And so the exact timeline, we don't know exactly yet. We would love to shoot for the spring, and we think God can still make that happen. Um, but we're going to hold that very loosely. Um, practically speaking, the reason we chose Blairsville is, number one, uh, as we prayed about it, it just makes a lot of sense for us. It just feels like that's a natural place that God's opening doors. Um, we have a couple hundred people that attend church here every weekend from Blairsville. Uh, so it seems like a natural fit to, to get started there. To be honest with you, if we started a church there today with the group of people we have from Blairsville that are part of this church, we would, I think we'd be the biggest church in Blairsville day one. And it's not about being the biggest at all. But what it means is we would have significant influence in that town. Uh, we'd be able to draw people. We'd be able to spread the, the kingdom of God pretty quickly um, because we wouldn't be starting with 20 people and hoping it works out. Um, we're not going to fix the churches in Blairsville. There are some great churches in Blairsville, and I love the pastors that I've been in relationship with in Blairsville. And the pastors that I've talked to that are down there that know about this, they're excited about this. Uh, they don't feel like Walmart's coming to town and they're going to knock out all the mom and pop stores. They don't feel that way at all. They're excited about us coming to town. And, and this is one of the reasons I think they're excited. When I first came to Summit, <clears throat> a lot of the churches in our community had stagnated or were in decline. And when I came here, one of my philosophies is if our church is growing, but the kingdom of God is not growing, then that's a net loss. So it doesn't matter if we're growing, if all the other churches are shrinking. So I want us to focus on the kingdom. We want the kingdom to win and not just our church. And what we've seen is churches all over our community are beginning to grow again. We're seeing growth in churches and God moving in churches. And it's not because of us, but I think it's because of what we're doing in the community and the kingdom. Churches working together, believing and trusting each other. And I believe this is going to be the case when we get to Blairsville as well. I believe we're going to be able to work with other churches. We're going to be able to inspire and encourage and bless other churches and the kingdom of God will take ground in Blairsville like never before. Um, just in a practical sense, um, when you look at the, the finances in Blairsville, the median income in Blairsville is about half what the state average is. So Blairsville is not a wealthy community. 16% of all children in Blairsville live below the poverty line. There is a lot of need there. There's an opportunity there for us to go in and bring hope. Those of you that live down there or you've been through, you spend time there, understand great people, great community, but hope is on the decline there. And we have an opportunity to come in and help and bring hope and to deliver a message that there's a Jesus who's crazy about them, that loves them, that believes that Blairsville has a purpose and a future, and we want to help make that happen. Uh, Blairsville is the kind of community that most people would not plant churches in, 
because church planning strategy says you go to the fastest growing area, you go to the wealthiest areas. And <laughs> that is not Blairsville. It's not the fastest growing or the wealthiest. But I, I believe firmly, I think God has given me a conviction that we will be a church that goes places that other churches are leaving and that other people are leaving. We want to do hard things. We want to do things that God has called us to do for the glory of God. And so we're going to start a church in Blairsville. This is what I'm asking for you to do. I'm asking you to pray. Uh, there will be more asks down the line, but for today, I just want you to pray. Pray with us as leadership that we will have wisdom, that we'll move forward in a way that brings glory to God. Uh, pray for the city of Blairsville, that, that there will be good soil to receive a, a good seed and that God will bring fruit there. Pray for the churches of Blairsville that are already there. Pray that God will bring blessing to them, that God will send lost people, that God will help them steward those people well. So pray for what's coming up. Pray for what's going on. And pray about your part in that. Because I don't know what that'll be. I don't know what that's going to look like. I will tell you this. We don't have all the answers to the questions you're going to be asking. Um, we're working on that. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more. Um, if I have more information, I'll definitely be sharing that with you. But on November the 4th, that's a Monday night, we're going to have an interest meeting in this room. And I'm actually doing really well. I cried a lot more last night when I shared this. Um, we're going to invite anybody who's interested in being a part of Blairsville, hearing more about Blairsville, to come and be a part of that meeting. What we're also going to do is ask you if you've got friends or family members or people that you love in Blairsville that don't have a home church, invite them to come. If they've got a church that they go to, don't ask them to come because we don't want people from another church. Uh, we want to reach lost people. We want to help other churches get stronger and healthier. And so if you've got people that don't go to church, but they'd be interested in being a part of a church like ours in Blairsville, invite them to come be a part of that meeting. And we're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about what God's asking us to do in more detail. And, uh, and I, believe, I believe God's up to something. And I, I'm so grateful that he's inviting us to be a part of it. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today to ask God, God, what have you put in my hand? What are the talents you've given me? Uh, whether it's finances, whether it's time, whether it's your ability, no matter what it is. And God, how do you want to leverage that for your kingdom? Because God is asking us to bring him a prophet. He, he wants us to expand his kingdom the same way that he asked these servants to do that. I told you last or two weeks ago, that all of us are called. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to ministry. It might not be at a church, but you are called to ministry. You're called to put God's kingdom first. And David Livingston said this. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And that's my challenge for you today. If you're here today and you feel like God has given you talent, and maybe you're guilty of comparing your talent to others and say, well, I wasn't given as much as them, or I wish I had what they had. Maybe today God's asking you to be faithful with what he's given you. That if you're faithful with the little, he can bless you with much, with your talent, with your time, with your finances, with your relationships, whatever it is, he's asking you to be faithful today. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the talents you've given us, the finances. Thank you for the homes, 
that we get to live in. Thank you for the relationships, the families. Thank you for the jobs. Thank you for everything that you've given us in our lives. God, everything we enjoy, everything we love is because you've given it to us. So God, I pray today you'd help us understand that what you've given us is not simply for us. Lord, you want us to leverage those things for your kingdom. You want us to leverage those things to bring people into your kingdom, to, to bring you a prophet of souls. So God, I pray today we would have a different mindset, a different view, and we would adjust our approach to your kingdom. That Lord, we would understand that we're not consumers, that we're not here just to partake, but God, we're here to, to be a part of, to, to contribute. So Lord, I pray that you minister in our hearts today. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you. Maybe they said a prayer at one time. Maybe they asked you to be savior, but they've never surrendered their life to you, to be Lord, to be the decider, to be the one who picks. So Lord, let today be the day we'd surrender everything to you. We would let you be the one who decides what we do with our lives, where we go, where we live, what we do with our vocation, who we marry. God, I pray that today would be the day we'd surrender it all. We'd let you be master and Lord of our lives. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, with nobody looking around, if you're here today and you say, Mel, what you described is me. I've never made Jesus master of my life. I've never let him decide. I've always maintained the lordship over my own life, and I recognize that I'm wrong. I need to make Jesus Lord. I need to let him decide. I need to let him choose my path. And today, I want to surrender it all to him. I want to make him Lord of all. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I want to pray with you though. So if you want to be included in that prayer today, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high and say, I want to make Jesus Lord, master, decider. Yeah, up in the balcony. I see you. Thank you. Yeah, another hand up in the balcony. Thank you. Who else would say that's me? Pray for me. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. Up in the balcony on my right. Thank you. Over here on my left. Praise the Lord. Yeah, on my right. Thank you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Say, pray for me, Mel. Today I want to make Jesus Lord. I'm not going to hold anything back. All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to simply repeat this prayer after me. So say this with me out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving your son to pay the price for my sins. From this day forward, my life is yours. Be the master and Lord of my life. I trust you to decide my future. Help me bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, the word of God tells us that you're a new creation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to know you're a new creation today, but I don't think God just wants to save you from hell. I think he wants to be Lord of your life. And so I wanna encourage you. Um, we wanna help you get there. And so the simplest thing for you to do is to fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation and then take it to our information center. It's in the lobby, in the main part of our lobby. Uh, Take it over there, give it to them. They're gonna give you a Bible to help you begin to grow in your faith. And we're gonna help you get connected with resources, groups, relationships. They're gonna help you grow and really 
make Jesus master of your life. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us and you responded, I just want you to know we're so excited for you and we're so glad that you made that decision. And we wanna help you take the next step as well. So if you would, let us know about your decision by texting the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. And we're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey as well. And if you're here in the area, we'll get you connected here at Summit. But if you're somewhere throughout the United States or even the world, we're gonna help you find a church in your area to connect with and begin to grow in your faith. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Um, We've shifted some things up. The, usually the worship team comes up and we sing one final song, but that's not how we're gonna do it. Um, we're, we're trying something different. What we're doing now is I'm gonna pray a, a final blessing over you before we're dismissed. And while I'm doing that, our prayer team's gonna come forward and they're gonna be right here at the front of the room. Some of our staff will be available as well. And if you need prayer today for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, I would love for you to step out and find one of our prayer team as people are being dismissed. And if you wanna stick around and pray, if you wanna pray silently in your seat uh, as we are being dismissed, please feel free to do so. And if you feel like God's done with you, you can feel free to be excused uh, uh, you know, reverently and, uh, and let God continue to do what he wants to do. Uh, don't forget, if you wanna give, give on your way out the door, the offering boxes. And uh, I tell you often, I hope you know, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Let me pray a blessing over you. You'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the, the people in this room. Thank you for the lives they have. Thank you for the talents they have that you've given them. God, I pray as they walk out of this place today, they would be blessed, Lord, that they would walk in your blessing, that they would walk in the freedom and knowledge knowing that they are your children. God, I pray as they go to work tomorrow, they're going to have favor with their boss. They're going to have favor with their coworkers, that you're going to bless them in their work so that their work would be a reflection of your goodness and grace. People would see you at work in them. So God, thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray health on these families. God, I pray a hedge of protection around them. And I pray that you be glorified through them. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.